This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We start out today's program with some good news and some bad news. Rich Cohn, author of The Fish That Ate the Whale, The Life and Times of America's Banana King, has contacted Radio Parallax and says he's down for an interview. We, however, could not make that happen for today's show, but you can bet that we will go forward and secure him as soon as we can. As mentioned last week, I took this book along on my trip to Costa Rica and found it to be immensely good reading. Actually, I had two books that were immensely good reading. I started off with A Crack in the World by Simon Winchester. I was startled and embarrassed to read in that book about a professor right here at UC Davis. In this case, Professor Eldridge Moores, who was on the cutting edge of developing the theory, which is now regarded as pretty much fact, in geology of plate tectonics. I contacted the UC Davis News Service and inquired about Professor Moores. They sent a note to him, and he has happily agreed to talk with us about this fascinating and really epic breakthrough in science of plate tectonics. In fact, we hope to speak with him later on today's program, although the subject of modern geology is one that this correspondent finds so fascinating that we hope Dr. Moores will allow us to speak with him at greater length, much as we did in the past with Freeman Dyson, a man who has so many things to say that you just don't want to try and corral it into a 25-minute segment. Dr. Moores is mentioned prominently in Mr. Winchester's book, but he also is pretty much the subject of another excellent book titled Assembling California by John McPhee, writer for The New Yorker. Evidently, most of that book was serialized in The New Yorker, and a damn good book it is. I recommend it to you most highly, dear listener. In fact, when I was purchasing a copy in The Avid Reader, the guy in line behind me said, oh, that's a good book. It's funny what happens when you get talking to somebody in a Davis bookstore. The gentleman accompanying him mentioned that he was in Sulawesi, the island roughly shaped like the letter K, which is east of Borneo in Indonesia. Actually, I'm not sure why Sulawesi came up in the conversation, but I said, yeah, I believe next year you're getting an eclipse. It's going to pass right over the island. He said, oh, yes, we are. And he was planning to be back for that, mentioning to me that it looks like all the hotels on the island are booked up. So, note, dear listener, if you plan to do some eclipse chasing and you were planning to go to Sulawesi... You'd perhaps better bring along a tent. At any rate, it is our hope that Dr. Eldridge Moores will speak with us briefly today about the fascinating story of how plate tectonics, or as it was known back when it was regarded a crackpot theory, continental drift, went from the lunatic fringe to one of the most solid foundations of any science out there. This promises to be fun. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 9th of July. It was on July 9th in the year 118 that Hadrian, Rome's new emperor, formally entered the city. He was generally vigorous and judicious in his reign. In fact, he was numbered among five in a row that were considered good emperors. They're known to history as the good emperors. But it's noted that Hadrian was rather ruthless on the issue of Palestine. He forbade Jews from entering Jerusalem. In fact, legend has it that Hadrian took a look at Jerusalem when he was passing through that part of the world, this coming a generation and a half after the great Jewish rebellion against the empire. 
And Hadrian saw observant Jews worshiping the rocks that were still left standing from the various temples that had been dismantled. He took a look at Jerusalem and thought, this city is going to be trouble, and vowed to rebuild it entirely as a Roman city. He died before he could accomplish this, however. And perhaps as he might have predicted, Jerusalem continues to be a trouble spot even today. All right, on July 9th in 1846, shortly after the U.S.-Mexican War began, Captain John Montgomery sailed his warship into the bay just off the village of Yerba Buena. Meeting no resistance, he raised the American flag in the central plaza. The following year, the Americans renamed the village San Francisco. And in its own way, it continues to be a source of trouble to this day. Although, of, I'm sure, quite a different kind. Inspired by our chat and show 677 with Henry Vinson, author of Confessions of a DC Madam, I picked up a copy of Sally Stanford's autobiography, which uh, my parents had in the old homestead down in the Bay Area, and found it to be some pretty entertaining reading about San Francisco's early days. I was especially struck when Sally mentioned how when Sonny Jim Rolfe, the mayor of San Francisco, managed to make himself governor of the state of California, and he then invited Sally Stanford, at that point a well-known madam in San Francisco, up to Sacramento to have a chat. You have to love the fact that the then-governor of California encouraged her to go forward and just run a good, clean house, Sally, and always show plenty of class. And yes, evidently the mayor-slash-governor was uh, intermittently one of her customers. Moving right along, it was on July 9th in 1887, and I can't believe it was this late, that the first paper napkins were introduced by John Dickinson at an annual dinner for paper manufacturers at the Castle Hotel in Hastings, England. They caught on. And Mr. Millen, our next item is going to require some special music, I think. Because it was on July 9th in the year 1922 that the American swimmer Johnny Weissemiller became the first person to swim 100 meters freestyle in less than one minute. Weissemiller ultimately won five Olympic gold medals and set 51 world records. But despite these athletic accomplishments, Weissemiller is no doubt best known to history as Hollywood's Tarzan of the Apes. I have to confess, I used to like Johnny Weissemiller movies back when I was a boy, but couldn't act his way out of a paper bag. The director's always managed to work in a swimming scene, though, somehow. And finally, it was on July 9th in the year 1941 during World War II that British cryptologists broke the secret German Enigma code. Enigma was the Germans' most sophisticated coding machine, originally employed for business purposes. The German army adapted the machine and considered its encoding system unbreakable. Unfortunately for the Nazis, the British figured it out. And yes, knowing where the Germans would be deploying their forces was a major factor in helping the Allied war effort. You know, I should note before going on that probably one of the reasons why we cannot secure Rich Cohn um, for this week's program is that he's probably the go-to guy talking about Jerry Weintraub, who passed away a few days ago. In 2010, Richard Cohn wrote a book about Weintraub titled, When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. Useful Stories from a Persuasive Man. 
Weintraub was a highly entertaining figure, and I hope when we get a chance to speak with Rich Cohn, we can talk not just about Samuel Zamuri, the banana man, but maybe working a little bit about Mr. Weintraub. Our quote of the day, and this marks a Radio Parallax first, allegedly comes from George Washington, but it's now been established that it did not, in fact, come from America's first president. Like a lot of people, though, I, I wish it had, because it's a pretty good quote. It is. Government is not reason. It is not eloquence. It is force. Like fire, a troublesome servant, and a fearful master. Never for a moment should it be left to irresponsible action. So there you have it. Interesting quote, but not by George Washington. Authorities at the Mount Vernon Library, which collects Washington quotes, said that the library is yet to find an explanation for the misquote, or locate another individual who said it, or uncover a quote of Washington's that was similar to this statement. Our quote of the day comes from Will Rogers, who said, Don't gamble. Take all your savings and buy some good stock and hold it till it goes up, then sell it. If it doesn't go up, don't buy it. For our anecdotes today, we're just going to cite two real quickies. The first is that Bill Cosby, in some recently uh, revealed depositions, admitted 10 years ago that at one point he bought quaaludes to give people he wanted to have sex with. This caused Mark Evanieri and News From Me to pose the question, does anyone out there still think he's innocent? And our other anecdote of the day is that the new Greek finance minister, in the wake of them firing the old Greek finance minister, in the wake of their holding a referendum in Greece to reject a deal that the European Union had already withdrawn, well, the finance minister showed up at a meeting and had nothing to offer, no plan, nothing. And you have to say, couldn't he have come up with at least one line, something, a quip? I mean, just, you know, something? I mean, for God's sake, when Pee Wee Herman made his first appearance back in public after his little incident where he was evidently pleasuring himself in an adult theater... You just have to admire Pee-wee coming up on the stage, looking out over the audience and saying, Ah! So, hear any good jokes lately? I think we'll make our joke of the day what Gilbert Gottfried had to say in the wake of Pee-wee Herman's uh, travails. You know, if masturbation's a crime, I I ought to get the death penalty. Yeah, and apologies for the poor Gilbert Gottfried impression, but you know, let's face it, there's not much call for it. And for our good news items, let's go to space. The New Horizons mission is zeroing in on Pluto, and we should, by next program, have something to report about the surface of the mysterious ninth planet. Or, if you will, dwarf planet. Or, if you will, large Kuiper Belt object. Whatever. And, Mr. Millen, I believe our stats of the day are going to require some special music. Stat number one, here in California, according to those who tally up such things, Hispanics have now passed whites as the state's largest ethnic group. Although, frankly, as mentioned in this program before, I hate the term Hispanic. And if the truth be told, Latino is not so good either. And I think I personify the problem. Someone from Spain gets labeled Hispanic. Someone from a mile across the Portuguese border gets labeled as white somehow. So despite my olive complexion, I'm apparently considered as Caucasian as the Prince of Wales. 
At any rate, according to stats, California now has 14.99 million Hispanics versus 14.92 million whites. What does this mean? Probably not a hell of a lot. But stat number two does amaze me. Apparently, the United States now has the second highest number of Spanish speakers in the world. There are now estimated to be 53 million Spanish speakers in the United States, putting it ahead of Colombia at 48 million and Spain at 46 million. We are second only to, what do you think? If you said Mexico, go to the head of the class. Mexico has 121 million Spanish speakers. Although I'd be willing to bet that 121 million is the number of Mexican citizens. The truth is Mexico does have a few people that actually don't speak Spanish. They speak indigenous languages. Probably not that many, though. We, we do want to note, dear listener, with some sadness, that we've not been encouraging you to send us letters, and doggone it, you haven't been. So by all means, do not be shy about dropping us a line at info at radioparallax.com. I do want to cite a note sent to us by Christopher a few weeks back. He said, I just listened to show 680 on KZFR in Chico. I work for Vivint Solar as an energy consultant. I found your segment very useful and informative, adding, I'm well aware of the information presented, but the general public is definitely not. Christopher added, buying a system does not make economical sense for a lot of households. If the math is done properly, some may just break even or lose money. The panels do not last forever, and between the 20 to 25 year range, a new system would need to be purchased. On this program, we talked about some of the scams being pulled in the solar industry where a lien gets put on your house and you, they're able to raise rates at will, and it's quite a ripoff, which you know, does require one to be vigilant. Uh, Christopher noted that uh, uh, he only works with power purchase agreements, and with that, an array is provided to the homeowner at no cost, and the only responsibility to the homeowner is to pay for the electricity generated at 15 cents per kilowatt hour. He added that not too many people know that PPAs are available and it wasn't brought up in the radio segment, and indeed it wasn't. He added, I thought I'd give you some basic information if you ever want to do another segment on solar energy. What most amused me about the letter was that Christopher added at the end, on a side note, I think your show's great and I encourage everyone I know that, that lives outside of Chico to listen online. I've been listening for about three or four years maybe. I must admit though, that the first month or so that I listened to your show, I thought you were the comedian Patent Oswalt. It wasn't until I got your show from the beginning did I realize my error. Well, Christopher, I've heard comedian Patton Oswald here in Sacramento at the Punchline, and uh, you know we don't mind being compared to him. He's a pretty funny guy. And then we can find it. We're going to have to, I think, air the bit that he does on Steven Seagal. Great actor. And another piece of writing that I think I need to cite comes from Peter Beinert, writing in theatlantic.com. Writing in the wake of the Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage everywhere in the United States, Beinhardt said, Funny, I don't remember conservatives complaining about overreach when the Supreme Court threw out campaign finance laws. Those laws were written by a democratically elected Congress, but the court decided the rights of super-rich donors were more important. Nor did the right cry putched when Scalia and other conservatives told Florida to stop counting ballots and headed the 2000 presidential election to George W. Bush. Well said. Also want to cite a commentary from NBCNews.com repeated in the Week magazine, referring to this disastrous situation in Iraq involving ISIS. And of course, it's been some bloody weeks of late as these jihadists throughout the Middle East have been killing people. 
But the authors noted that in Iraq and Syria, ISIS has swollen to 25,000 fighters and it controls substantial portions of both countries under the command, this is the part I love, under the command of a core group of Saddam Hussein's former military officers. Think about this. Under Saddam Hussein, jihadists, radical Islamists, were suppressed. Who was doing the suppression? Saddam Hussein's army and government. Once George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld went in and busted the country up, these two groups have decided what they have in common is that they hate our guts and are now working together. Great plan. Great. And yet I heard some horse's ass, or there was a, a forward promotion of some horse's ass, I think it was on KQED, about how they were going to bring on, I think it was like Lawrence Eagleburger, one of these PNAC neocons who was all gung-ho about the war in Iraq, Coming forward to say, oh, this, this ISIS thing over there, this is, now, this is now the fault of the guy in charge currently. Right, right, it's Obama's fault. All right, we need a little bit of comedy relief, I think. Unfortunately, the review of Terminator Genesis, I guess the fifth installment in the Terminator franchise, I think will provide this. Writing in streetcrush.com, Matt Singer said... Instead of complicating the previous Terminators in an interesting way, this one merely sets up more sequels. It's hard not to look at it and wonder if the machines haven't already won. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Wenjing with the news that a Little Rock, Arkansas man has lodged a complaint with the local NBC affiliate over its Peacock logo. He's charging that it includes colors of gays to show support for the Supreme Court's same-sex marriage ruling. Don Stare said the logo was a disgrace and vowed to switch to ABC. The NBC affiliate responded that its multicolored NBC peacock dates from 1956 and is, in fact, the same logo as always. And uh, it was a bad week last week for political protest with the news that a Jewish political action committee hired several Mexican day laborers to dress as Orthodox Jews and protest at the Gay Pride Parade in New York City. Evidently, after a reporter noticed that the men in Orthodox garb were clearly Hispanic, the Jewish Political Action Committee admitted it had hired substitutes for its members. Quote, because of what they would see at the parade, unquote. Can you see how this went down? Arturo, this fake beard is really scratchy. Yeah, they say we can't eat no jamón all day. See, si, y camarones también. And it was an ugly week last week for a tradition with the news that, sadly, cooler heads have ultimately not prevailed in Marin County, and they are going to rename the Waldo Tunnel the Robin Williams Tunnel. No doubt you've noticed the rainbow on the arches as you've driven north off the Golden Gate Bridge, dear listener. 
Well, evidently, our state senators here in California voted last week to name the tunnel after the late comedian and Marin resident, who they note got his big break wearing rainbow suspenders on Mork and Mindy. And there's some impeccable logic for you, folks. Yeah, clearly to be in the state senate, you've got to be on the ball. And finally, what has to be both a bad and ugly week for California's Commonwealth Club. Yes, I have to note that as a former member of the Commonwealth Club, I still get their emails and promotions. And uh, when I saw Kim Kardashian West live, by the way, in conversation with Judge LaDoris Cordell, retired independent police auditor, city of San Jose, I have to say I, I was appalled. Go to the Sacramento Bee, the reality TV star and fashion mogul was invited by the 112-year-old club that describes itself as the nation's oldest and largest public affairs program. The Bee also noted that some members and listeners of the club's radio broadcast said they felt she was not worthy of sharing the same spotlight as such notable past speakers as President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Martin Luther King Jr., the B notes that the program's Facebook page lit up before the event with comments both opposing and supporting her selection. I, I, I just got a quote from the B on the, on the rest of this piece. Kardashian has 94 million social media followers. She said, quote, maybe it's the bikini selfies. I think I definitely overshare, but I'm really engaged. Asked, we presume by the judge, does the large number of selfies Kardashian posts objectify her? She answered, yes, I don't think it's a bad thing. Adding, I think there's power in that, and I think I have the control to put out what I want, so even if I'm objectifying myself, I feel good about it. Her butt is just so big. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Yeah, when a girl walks in with an itty-bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Want to pull up tough because you notice that butt was stuck. Yes, Mr. Millen, when it comes to outro music, I think you've hit a home run with this one. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. we got plenty more. Stick around. Ooh, rumpa, smooth skin. You say you want to get in my bins? Well, use me, use me, because you ain't that average groupie. I seen her dancing to hell with romance, and she's sweat, wet. Got it going like a turbo vet. I'm tired of magazines, saying flat butts all the thing. Take the average black man and ask him that. She gotta pack much back.